Hi, I'm Josh Gandy, and you're listening to No Proof. This podcast is an extension of my journey to discover closeness to myself and the outside world. Through mindfulness, the person I'm becoming since sobriety, and the healthy choices I'm learning about along the way. In each episode, I'll be speaking with someone with ties to sobriety, the bar and restaurant industry, wellness, recovery, or all of the above. There's no proof like the present. All right, you're listening to No Proof. As always, I'm Josh Gandy, and I'm joined today by Andrew McLeod, and he's the executive chef at Avenue M in Asheville, North Carolina. And Andrew, I got to tell you, I'm really excited to chat with you today. I spend a bulk of my time on this show kind of talking with um, bartenders, and that's kind of like the world that I kind of understand. So anytime that I get the opportunity to chat with a chef, um, I think it really kind of like helps broaden the experience for the listeners. Um, there's a lot that I think that we share in common, but I also in some ways feel that like maybe the chef world has its own different case of kind of like, you know, sobriety and the relationship with alcohol uh, that makes it a little bit different than maybe what I've experienced as a bartender. So I'm excited today to kind of like dig in, understand, you know, what your background was and uh, to see what you've been capable of since living alcohol free. How are you today? I'm great, Josh. Thanks for, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, the, I think that the there's more parallels than there than there are differences in terms of, of of getting sober whether you work front of the house or back of the house, you know. Um, there's just such a hardwired culture of of drinking being the the first in a series of stress relievers, um, or, or uh, the first in a series of the 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 wind down. Let's expunge the adrenaline that's left over from uh, from all this work. Uh, throughout the throughout the day and the night so it's it's just the the relationship is is a little bit more knotted and tangled than it is I, I feel like with with people in, in a lot of other industries that's one of the things that I struggled with um, early on I, I got sober for the first time when I was in my early 20s and uh, I went to re- rehab and I was working in front of the house prior to that and I really, really liked working in restaurants and I felt like I'd, I'd felt like I'd found my tribe and, and, you know, like the people and the schedule and, and the vibe and the energy and all that kind of stuff. But I knew that I couldn't serve alcohol to people and stay sober at 23 years old or whatever it was. And so I ended up getting, um, getting a job cooking and really got into it really, really fast, you know? Um, and, you know, from there, I, had had held on to this reservation um, going through the program the first time that you know I, I it, it seemed like a lot of old people talking in, in in rooms that that I couldn't really identify with you know and I was really convinced that the thirteenth step was to accept Jesus as my personal savior and then you know I'm hoodwinked and the fucking veil comes off and gotcha you know what I mean and so I was always really guarded against that um, and so. I didn't feel like I really, I really went through the process in earnest. I stayed sober for two years out of out of recovery um, in in my early twenties, and um, you know, at a certain point, I I just decided, told myself that like, hey, you know, um, I was having a normal adolescent experience. My consequences were much more severe than others, um, but you know, I'm, I've done good this this long, like 
let's let's just see what happens. You know, if if it gets out of hand, I know what to do. Um, and so I, I began drinking again socially, and and uh, you know, once I kind of ramped up my career a little bit, my um, my drinking got a little bit my drinking kind of ramped up too. Like the, the stress and the pressure level kind of rising, kind of that, that, uh, <laughs> that use kind of rose with it. Um, and so progressively over, over a period of eight or 10 years, uh, it just got a little, a little by little, um, unnoticeably to me, worse and worse. Um, when I, I had been cooking for maybe a year and a half, two years is when I discovered like really high level restaurants and, um, and fine dining. And that was, that was something that really interested me. And I, I decided to, you know, put all my effort in that, in that arena. Um, I have a really obsessive personality and, and it really got, got really swept up in that. And um, the first kitchen that I went to that was a, a really, really serious kitchen um, they fucking partied, man. You know, um, it was like eight people and we were all working, you know, 12, 14 hour, 16 hour days. Um, and routinely would, you know, drink until four or five in the morning and come back to work at nine. And I couldn't do that like regularly, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I, I did every, every once in a while. And I also kind of like was jealous that I couldn't do that regularly, you know, that I like, I couldn't hang, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause like, to me, uh, here's all these people that, that are much more skilled than I, and you know, going into that environment for the first time was a, was a real shock. Cause I was like, okay, I don't know anything. Um, I'm going to shut my mouth and, and, and try to pick up as much as I can and try to be like this guy you know, and somewhere along the way um, with, with just with that and also like all the romantic shit with the, the, the sh you know, chef culture and media in the last 10 or 15 years and Bourdain stuff and, um, you know, all that, you get this kind of like sense of <clears throat> there's, <clears throat> there's a price to like working this hard you know, and, and, to, and to walk this path, you've got to like suffer in the same kind of way. You got to abuse yourself in the same kind of way. Um, and when I was really, when I was coming up, I'm, I'm part of that like last generation of guys that came through old school kitchens. And what I, what I mean by that is, is uh, <clears throat> the really serious places that I worked, there was a lot of, uh, you know, verbal and physical abuse. Um, not much of which that I like to talk about in detail, um, not for any, any kind of, uh, personal reason, but I don't like naming names and I don't like, like, you know, talking shit about people, but I also don't like, um, to talk about it with my cooks. Cause I don't like that to, I don't want that to color the experience that we have with each other, you know? Um, but that being said, like, this was all just part of it, you know, um, there was like a whole picture of like what it was to live this life and, and to do it for real. And if you were serious about it, you, you know, you woke up in the morning and you, you worked until late at night and then you drank so that you could get to sleep to work some more, you know? 
and over like like I said, over time that that became um, kind of kind of the pattern where um, I got to the point where I had to, I had to drink a certain amount in order to be able to fall asleep and get to work on time, you know. Um, and by the time that like I realized that I had I had to do something um, is I'm really fortunate that that um, I didn't suffer the same kind of consequences as I, I did the first time. I was I was able to to identify that like hey nothing's moving forward in my life the way that I would like it to. And I'm in danger of losing the only thing that matters to me anymore, which is my professional reputation. If I don't do something, you know, and I was just, I was getting ready to leave um, this, this really serious job that I had been at for four years and was really working myself way too hard. And I had to, I, I, I decided to, to quit drinking like the day that I left that job, you know, and I locked myself in my apartment for like two months and ordered groceries and just like fucking white knuckled it for a little bit. Um, and I knew that like, I needed to, I needed to move forward and uh, I needed to, I knew what to do. I needed to go back to meetings and I needed to meet some people and I needed to like start establishing a network. Um, and that's what I did. I met my sponsor at my first meeting and I went back um, and I hadn't picked up a drink since, uh, since then it was in April of uh, 2017. So I think that's a, that's a big kind of thing to focus on too, because I feel like there's almost uh, two camps in some ways where, you know, there are groups of people that when they make the decision to get sober, they kind of like lean in in some ways and staying within the restaurant to, you know, kind of like prove to themselves, which is kind of, kind of feels like an uphill battle in a lot of ways that like, I can do this here because I have to. And then there's, uh, you know, people that need to step away for a little bit. What was that time when you stepped away? Like, like what were those like couple months in your apartment? Like what was, what was going through your head? What were you kind of thinking about? And you know, how did you kind of like formulate that plan to get back? Did you ever kind of have a moment where you're just like, this pause has given me enough time where maybe I try something different or were you kind of like building yourself up in that time to go back stronger? I think I was just trying to get my nerves up to like, force myself to do the thing that I knew I needed to do. You know, um, I, I think that there's a lot of circumstances that could have occurred that I could have been in where I could have, have gotten sober and stayed in the same job. You know, I don't, I don't ever want to advocate to people that like, this is the approach that has to work for, for you. Um, Cause you know, when I got sober, everybody in AA told me that I couldn't work in restaurants, you know, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I think groups like Ben's friends and, 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 and awareness, uh, podcasts like this and, and it's so important um, to, to talk about these things because not everybody's experience is going to be the same. Not everybody's circumstances are going to be the same. Um, I just knew that where I was, the type of support structure that I had was so firmly rooted in drinking alcohol um, that I had to form a new one. Um, so I, I, I guess like I, I had a plan, you know, the, the whole time, but I, I, I just wanted to take some time um, to say fuck it to everything, you know, um, just everybody leave me alone. Let, let me leave myself alone as much as I can. Um, 
and just like and really get a breather before I um, before I moved on to the next thing. I already had like some some stuff lined up professionally, um, but I, I had some time in between, and um, I just wasn't ready to go go like right back to AA. I felt a little shame about that, you know, and I I, I don't know why I felt that. Um, probably because I didn't really like buy in the first time. So I didn't really get what it was about. Um, but it, it just took me <clears throat> spending some time with myself um, and really like assessing, okay, what it, what is it that I want to do in order that I need to do in order to move forward um, to like motivate me to, to make those steps. So the, the pace of, you know, restaurant life is swift. And it, you know, it picks you up in a lot of ways and carries you, uh, you know, mostly positive when you're kind of like on the career trajectory, especially for like, you know, somebody working in kitchens where you feel like you're starting at like a line cook. And then, you know, next thing you know, your name's on the menu and stuff like that. And I feel like that kind of like pause and look back in the moment, it feels like an everyday grind, but you're like, wow, like, how, how did we get here in, in some ways? So I feel like that also happens in the, in the, you know, the negative where it makes it like almost impossible some days to kind of like stop and take inventory of like what's going on. And like your drinking relationship is one of those that like, it's, it's kind of like one of the last things to realize in some ways. Um, so who did you kind of like, did you kind of like, un, you know, discover who you were in some ways, because like in, with the pace of the job, like wrapping yourself up where you, you know, a lot of people say I am the job right now. You know, they aren't like saying that out loud, but it feels like this is just who I am right now. Was there kind of like some peeling off of layers in that and, you know, discovery of self? Sure. I, I think the first thing that I would say is uh, the your point about um, restaurant work in life being really swift, that, that that's true. However, I don't think that many people share the same experience of being a line cook and all of a sudden <laughs> your name's on the menu and like shit's awesome and like all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, had, think, to, I had to soap opera it a little bit. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think people in general um, and, and, my, and myself, no exception, um, it's, it's, always, it's always much more than that. Um, anyway, some people have have. A, a great time and, and no bumps in the road and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, it's easy to get, get carried away and get into a groundhog day sort of situation with what you're doing. Um, especially when like, uh, you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, day after day, week after week. Um, it is easy to, to lose track of like a long period of time for sure. <clears throat> And for me, um, my, my personality and the way that I deal with life and, and things, you know, drinking and, and using was, was a way of me, you know, escaping and, and de-stressing and, and, and procrastinating on dealing with things internally that I didn't want to deal with. And one of the other ways in which that I could achieve that same goal is to bury myself in work. Um, I, I can do the same kind of avoidance and the same kind of, of uh, rejection of, of looking inward um, by succumbing to workaholism, you know, and I really, I struggled with both of those things at the same time, um, but I really struggled when, when I got sober and I got back to it 
also about substituting my use for uh, alcohol with pushing myself professionally and, and just, just working too much and, um, and taking things personally that I shouldn't be and like, and, and that kind of a thing. So I, I think for me, more so than the, the getting sober part and, and, and working through the steps and like working with a sponsor and figuring out what was, what was ticking in me that made me want to drink in the first place kind of blew up who I thought I was prior to that. You know, um, I had, a, I had a real crisis of conscience when, when I was going through, um, going through that process, because if I, if I was being honest with myself, I was, I was, the workaholism stuff was all avoidance of, of dealing with trauma that I didn't want to deal with. And, um, a, a lot of that too was like, wanting to be this guy who like did this thing that people thought something about, you know, there was a lot of ego stuff in there that, that I just, I wanted other people's approval. And if I just kept my head down and if I just kept working hard that I would get this person's approval that would make me feel good about myself or this person's approval that would make me feel better about myself and, and continue that, continue that cycle. And it took me a while to, to, to really discern whether or not I really liked cooking you know, I really liked doing it or whether I was just responding to all of these things um, that were much more lizard brain oriented than, um, than whether I was actually connecting with it, you know? So I think I had a misinterpretation of who I was for a long time and, um, and a much clearer picture of, of who I am and what motivates me um, in sobriety for sure. Well, who did you find? What do you like about cooking? What what keeps you in it now? Well, what keeps me in it is the same thing that, that attracted me to it in the first place is being around weird fucking people all the time. You know, I, I, I immediately felt home at home in kitchens because, you know, I didn't feel at home in school and, and, and you know, regular jobs. I didn't feel like a normal person. Just never did, you know. Um, and all of us that, that continue cooking professionally, we've all got something. We've all got some kind of, some kind of screw loose where like we, we need this kind of instant feedback loop uh, to, to, keep our, to keep ourselves motivated, you know? Um, the people have always been the thing that I've loved most about cooking. And, um, Apart from that, you know, early on, I think I think there was a there was a lot of control issues that I had early in life and, and late in life, and um, you know, cooking was a thing that like okay, every part of this is under my direct control. I'm I, I'm succeeding or failing based on the thing that I do or don't do, you know, and there was a lot of of comfort in that, a lot of reassurance in that that um, that. All in the outside world, there's everything, everything out there that I've got, I've got nothing to do with. I've got no control over anything can happen. Um, but like between me getting this thing, you know, fabricated and, and, and um, produced and, and onto a plate properly is, is all, that's all under my control. That was, that was always a big thing, but you know, 
I just, I'm just like anybody else, man. I love to cook and eat, you know, um, my, my, my family love to eat and talk about food. Um, and that, and I am the, that addicted to that feedback loop, you know, of like doing something new, uh, being excited about how, it, how it tastes and how it comes out, excited to share that with people. Um, you know, that's, that's a part of, a part of me that I'm, that I'm incapable of getting rid of, you know, um, so all of those, all of those things are still really valid, you know, just because like for a long period of time, I, I, I thought that what people thought about me was more important than what I did, you know, or as important or whatever. Um, it, it didn't mean that I, that I didn't love the work, you know, cause I do, I love, I love processes and I love technique and I love going to work every day and, and doing it, you know? Um, did you notice your approach to food or menus change at all within sobriety? Because, you know, I feel like chefs put a lot into their programs and, and what they offer up. Like, is that something you ever noticed? I don't know that I would put a direct correlation with it. Um, I think, I think if anything, the, the, the correlation just comes with like age and maturity in, in the industry and, and confidence and experience and stuff. Um, you know, my, my approach now is, is pretty similar to how I, how I thought about food five or six years ago, uh, in that, that, that it's more about doing more with less and, and, and trying to, to take away ingredients and high technique and, um, and not be flashy and not be like attention seeking that I just, I just want to make simple food. That's, that's tasty. Um, that people want to eat that also I respond to, you know, that also gets me excited and it gets my team excited. Um, so I think, I think that has more to do with just experience and confidence than it does, um, you know, being sober. So short answer, no, <laughs> I guess. So, you know, talking about your team, how's, how has a culture changed for you? I mean, you are in a, uh, an executive position now. How do you kind of like change what happens in the kitchen versus kind of like what you grew up through um, in this process? And, you know, how do, what are the type of people that you attract to, to work with you? Well, I think it's important to recognize that, um, you know, my sous, my first sous chef job, I was fucking horrible. I was such a dickhead and such a piece of shit asshole. Um, and I thought that I was being nice to everybody. You know, it took such a long time. It took several years for me to understand that um, because my barometer of what was acceptable and what was unacceptable was like up here, um, that even me doing my best was coming in so far above what other people's barometer of acceptable and unacceptable was, um, especially with people that were, you know, five or six years younger than me. Uh, it, it took me such a long time to really internalize that, that you know, because, because my barometer was so fucked up that I didn't realize how I was making other people feel, you know, for, for 
a good couple of years. Um, and I was really fortunate enough to, to be able to work with some of the same people for, you know, a, a stretch of a, a few years that really, in a, in a, in a really helpful way, I, I got to kind of like see this, see this play out um, and got, got really good feedback. Um, some of it was really tough, you know, but <clears throat> it took me, it took me a while to get to that point that I was like, okay, I'm not a good judge of this, you know, like my, my barometer is just, it's, it's just fucked. I have to accept that, you know? Um, so I needed to change what I think is important. And part of that <clears throat> kind of coincided with, with the fourth step and, and, and the stuff, stuff that I was doing, figuring all the shit out about like, um, why I cared so much about all of this and all, uh, this being ego stuff and, and that kind of a thing. And it's why I was never happy in any of those, in any of those positions with any of those people and, and any of the things that we were trying to do, because my thought process was, <clears throat> you know, why are these people meeting my expectations? why aren't they meeting the expectations that they don't know that I have for them? You know, why are they, aren't they meeting these expectations that are unreasonable for me to have for other people and only semi-reasonable for me to have for myself? Um, I got, I, I was so wrapped up in this old view of stoicism nonverbal communication that people are going to be observant and pick things up organically and are going to benefit more from that than they are from like nitpicking about each little thing all the time and you know a lot of times i'd get frustrated because people didn't pick up on things that i thought were obvious but <clears throat> if, if i didn't explain it to them then who, who am i to who am i to assume that that anybody understands what the fuck I'm talking about in the first place, you know? Um, that, was a, that was a real struggle for, like I said, the first few years of my management career. Um, and I don't know, when I, when I got, I'd always just, always wanted to come back to Asheville and this is, this is like, area of the country is, is home for me and it's where I wanted to set up roots and all that. And so I got, I got down here and, um, in 2020 it was taken over this place. And I, I knew a few people that were like running kitchens around town, but I didn't, it wasn't like I, I could, you know, call up some people and staff this restaurant, you know, um, I just kind of decided that I wanted the, I wanted to enjoy coming to work and working in a kitchen again. And I didn't want to worry about like <clears throat> something having, having to be perfect or having to be a certain way or having to like, uh, having to live up to an expectation that I perceive somebody else having that I don't even know if they do or, or, or not, or that I have that I shouldn't have. Um, I just wanted to get back to basics of like, what makes me happy about coming to work in a kitchen. <clears throat> and if I can focus on that, then, um, 
I'm pretty sure that like a lot of people have a not a not a universal uh, share of the same things that I like about working in a kitchen, but pretty close. It's three things that make cooks happy: is music, good family meal, and organization. You know, if you can find everything, if it's clean, um, if you if you if you know what you're walking into on a day to day basis, you know. Um, the, the chaos part of it comes later, you know, but like, you gotta have this, you gotta have structure. And when I first, when I first got in and the legacy staff that was there at the restaurant, it was a real struggle. Um, they, we, we lost all of them pretty, pretty quickly. And um, we had a, we had a pretty good staff by the end of the year and they ended up turning over when we had to, to close again for the most part, but little by little, piece by piece, like person by person, um, I just started to, I, I started to get people on the team that, <clears throat> that really wanted to focus on the same things too. That were, you know, in their thirties and had, had done, had done any number of things in, in different restaurants on, on, on various kind of, kind of levels and just wanted to have fun being in a, being in a kitchen and cooking good food. Um, and that's all I wanted. And so to me, that's like focusing on a place that people are excited to come to work. Um, that's what my job is. The, the menu part of it and, and, you know, the creative process and like all that, all that bullshit, you know, that's all secondary. Um, but with what I can control, if I can make it a fun place to be, um, and, and give them the opportunity to re-engage with what drives them and enjoying the process of cooking in the first place. Like that's, that's what I feel my job is. And we've gotten to a good place with that. I'm, I'm really proud about the fact that it's been two and a half years and I haven't advertised for a need for a line cook ever. Um, in this town, especially, I know everybody's been, been the same, but like, um, it's been really tough for people to, to staff back in front of the house. And um, not something that, that I'm really proud about. Do you talk about sobriety within the, the, the walls of the kitchen? I know a lot of the kitchens that I've kind of like worked around, alcohol use is kind of like used as like an incentive. Uh, and it's also kind of like used as a clock. You know, if you're sitting around having that kind of like shift beer and stuff, you know that the night is over and you know that you kind of, you know, a lot of people quote unquote say that you earned it uh, toward the end of the night. What's what's kind of your take on the the shift beer and, you know, how do you kind of like talk about uh, your past a little bit and the culture within the kitchen? Well, the, the first thing I'll say is, is that I don't talk about sobriety unless somebody asks me. And I think that's really important. Um, that it's 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 nobody's business unless somebody expresses an interest in, in getting sober or asks you how you did it or however it is that they arrive at that you know um <clears throat> there's a lot of people that i've met in in recovery that recovery becomes their personality and it's this outward thing and it's really kind of contrary to so what the principles of the program are of, of attraction rather than promotion. Um, so for me, like that's, 
that's it. Like it's not talked about unless somebody asks me a direct question about it. Everybody knows like what my deal is, you know? And um, I have, a, there's a lot of jokes. I, I have a lot of humor about like how fucked up I used to be and you know, that kind of a thing. And, and um, that, the, I, I love that. I love having the levity of, of what used to be such a, a really serious situation. Um, where we can all laugh at like stupid shit that I used to do. Um, but for me, like, it, it, shift beers, you know, I, there was a, there was a time in my life where like, that was, that was a thing. Um, and it, honestly, it doesn't really make that big of a difference. Cause like, if I had a shift beer, I was still going to go somewhere else and, and drink more. You know what I mean? The fact that I had one before I left work was really kind of inconsequential. If I was going to drink, I was going to drink. You know, um, <clears throat> I think I think it's fine as long as as long as you know management and, and ownership are responsible about what they're doing. Like it's a it's a shift beer. It's not you know get drunk at the bar and go drive and like whatever. Um, but <clears throat> it shouldn't be in my, in my mind, it shouldn't be like the only form of positive reinforcement that's available. Um, sometimes that's the case. And I, it's certainly not that way. Um, not that way at our place, but, um, if you like to have a beer, if you like to have a glass of wine and you're a normal person, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do that sitting at the bar at the end of your shift, you know? How, um, how did you come to find uh, Ben's friends? And, you know, how's that been like a positive, uh, you know, kind of like influence in your journey? Well, I found out about it when, um, when we shut down for COVID in uh, 2020. There was a guy that was working with me in the kitchen that had been going to uh, in-person meetings that they had just started in Asheville, I think six months prior. And I kind of, I asked him some questions about it and I did some research. And so I, I was doing a lot of Zoom meetings while we were, when we were locked down, mostly in Nashville with my home group, because I had just moved back to Asheville and I had really not reconnected with many people. I just put my head down for the first six weeks in the kitchen and, you know, poof, we're, uh, everything's, everything's different. And um, so I started going to, I started going to the, uh, the Zoom meetings and learning a little bit more about about what their their kind of mission statement was and it just felt like a really a really great thing that would have been useful to me had i known about it when i was getting sober and it just kind of happened naturally that that um that mickey asked me to take a, a leadership role in you know hosting the meetings and and, and that kind of a thing here which I really feel like is, is super valuable service work for me that, you know, I'm obviously a person whose, whose story is, is completely wrapped up in restaurants and a lot of parts of it, I think lots of different kinds of people can identify with it. And just by being available um, as somebody to listen or, or talk about my own experience is the best kind of service work that I can do, you know. How does it differ from AA? 
Well, what they say is that it's it's not technically you know affiliated with AA. Um, there's there isn't an anonymity clause to it or anything like that. All Ben's Friends is is a support group of, of hospitality professionals that are interested about getting sober, that are interested about um, about getting sober and and remaining in their industry of choice. <clears throat> so you know I got sober in AA. Mickey got sober in AA. There's a lot of people that will um, you know recommend. AA meetings um, for people, but lots of people just go to Ben's friends and that's, that's enough for them. Um, we don't have the same kinds of like, uh, there's, there's no formal structure to it or anything like that. You know, we just kind of rap about uh, sobriety or, or struggles in the industry or, or anything, um, anything to like, as long as the focus is, is always about how are we doing it sober, you know, and just the the point for me is like this is a group of people that are living that example that like hey you can you can do this and you can still do the thing that you that you like to do we've all done that and this is part of how we do that is by sharing with each other and listening to each other um so i think that's that's pretty much how I would view the, the main differences between the two. When you were first getting sober, did you have, you know, anybody that you kind of looked to uh, that kind of, you know, would, would allow you to kind of like see what it could be like to be sober within the industry? Or do you feel like in the beginning, maybe it was something you were kind of like uh, going alone? I know that when I was um, becoming sober in October 2017, I, I had a real difficulty in kind of like looking outward and seeing anybody who was really doing it. And it wasn't until like, you know, I just kind of like tried to read more or, or listen to more where I kind of like saw more people coming out. And, um, you know, as I like found things about like Ben's friends, it felt like the community and, and sober world within the industry like really exploded. But at, in the very beginning, it, you know, I don't know that I was looking hard enough or it just like felt almost impossible to find somebody within the industry that was, you know, kind of like doing what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um you know, the, the job that I was, I was saying that I had to, I had to separate entirely from was, was Husk and Nashville. And, um, and it was Sean who got sober in January of that year. Um, I didn't learn about it until, you know, a couple of weeks before I was out the door. And that's what got me to the point that like, all right, well, if this guy is, is doing it and he can, he can do it, then this is the right thing for me to do. And I, I, I let him know, and you know, he took me to my my meeting, my first meeting back when I met my sponsor, and, and that was it. And that was all I needed. I just needed, I needed the nudge that like somebody that I looked up to, somebody that I fucking worked for, you know, was willing to do the same thing. He was he was vulnerable in the same kinds of ways, and was going to make the same kind of changes. Um, that was that was enough reassurance for me to be like this is the right thing to do, you know? Yeah, for sure. Cause I mean, especially in my early days, like it felt almost impossible. Cause like, you know, so much of my life was ingrained 
in it. You know, I was a drink maker. I was, you know, constantly trying to come up with new and creative ways to like use alcohol. Every single day that I went to work, I convinced people the types of alcohol that they should drink. If I was off work, I was either drinking or researching alcohol is going to conferences like surrounded by it. So like the moment I had the idea of just like, I, I think it's time for me to become sober. You know, I was hit with that flash of like, well, how the fuck are you going to do that? Like, will anybody take you seriously? And I, I wonder if like, yeah. is that any part of it with like the partying atmosphere that you kind of saw too, or it's just like, this is so much of what I do. Like, will anyone want to even like hang out with me anymore? Uh, you know, I, I think that, that there was some of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and what that was more so than, than fear of loss of reputation was fear of lost relationships that I was going to lose relationships that I hadn't, I hadn't resolved myself to the fact that there were a lot of people in my life that were just drinking buddies and I was going to find out. And I didn't like that reality, you know? Um, so there, there is, there was that more so than there was uh, fear of, of lost reputation or legitimacy. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember like I was a year sober and I went back to San Francisco for the first time since I had, I had come, uh, first time since I'd moved away in 2013 or 14 or something like that. And so I had all these people that I was going to see and, and I had made reservations at like two places, but I ended up eating everywhere, and you know, seeing everybody and all this kind of stuff. And I was sitting down having a meal at a restaurant that I used to work at that, um, you know, they invited me to come and sit at the bar. And, and back, back then when I worked there, um, you know, the owner used to pack me a bag of Coke at the end of service because uh, he knew that I was sleeping for fucking three hours a night and working for 20 hours a day. And, um, and uh, he was the one that came and poured me the most expensive champagne in the world, sitting there, sitting there at the bar. And I had to be like, look, I'm sorry, but please give this to somebody that can, that can enjoy it. Um, that was the, the toughest one, just because, just because like, I knew immediately he was going to come over and say, hey, man, what's going on? Are you okay? Cause that's what he knew about me is it was a guy that, that worked his, it worked his ass off and, and, you know, partied as much as he could. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that I thought he would think less of me. It was just dreading having the same conversation over and over and over again. That like, no, I'm just, I'm doing something different. I'm not, I'm not drinking anymore. Um, so I, it's that that would be a lot different i think if I, I was in your shoes and i was a beverage professional you know i could i could see having having a lot of imposter syndrome kind of feelings around getting sober yeah i feel the uh the not wanting to repeat it all the time too and i feel like i dealt with that a lot because you know there's almost like the unspoken or as they call like the bartender's handshake you know especially like if someone's like too busy to even say hello they usually just plop something down and you just have to sit with it in front of you until they get enough time to come over and you're like I can't drink this like I'll please just give me your soda water or whatever what's uh I mean what's what's partying look like now are you uh are you on to the non-alcoholic beers or uh what are you enjoying these days none of that stuff is for me man um any beers or or any wine or cocktails or anything like that it's just a tease 
you know, I wasn't ever a person that, that, that drank for any other reason other than to, to, for oblivion. And, and if I, if I were to drink, um, non-alcoholic beer or, or, or whatever, it would just, it would just upset me that I was toying with myself about the thing that I really wanted out of this experience, you know, and that's just me. I, I think that, that anything that allows somebody to feel better in a social situation or, um, or whatever it is, uh, having, having some of those feelings that are really positive associated with a ritual about, about being around people or whatever, if that helps you, then that's great. You know, um, it's just not for me. I'm, I've always been much, much more of an introvert than anything. And so I'm like really grateful that being a little older, that I'm not expected to like be out late at night, that it's like normal for me to be at home with my wife and my dog and my cat. And, you know, nobody thinks that's going to be weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Cause that's the life that I want to live. I want to, I want to do the, I want to do the work that, that I think is important and then is, is rewarding for me and um, spend time with the, the people that I, uh, that I really care about, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And I, you know, I've always been kind of uh, an introvert as well. Bartending allowed me to be like a little bit on stage extrovert at times. Uh, so I would be able to turn that on, you know, sometimes, but, you know, I'm with you on like the, I'll have like an NA beer and stuff from time to time, but, you know, I never drank a hundred PBRs in the past because I liked the way that it tasted. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. And I like that. I like having a, earlier close to the to the evening as well it's uh it's good to not have to go out for hours and hours and have a hundred of something just to say that you did it with some people and for me you know um running running service every day and that kind of a thing like i i talk enough during the day that i don't need to go out and talk with more people you know what i mean as an as an introvert like that that level of interacting with people gets pretty close to to um <clears throat> to what i'm comfortable with on a daily basis that, that i feel like feel the need to recharge um <clears throat> that relationship was a little bit different when i was when i was coming up and i was i was a line cook because my the way that i <clears throat> interacted with with every everyone was different you know it was all different i was more um I had to, I had to talk a lot less and I was, I was listening a lot more and, and I was absorbing a lot more. And so I felt like I had something pent up at the end of the day and I don't feel that way anymore. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's a big difference too. Yeah. I think the older that I get, I totally understand why Darth Vader needed a full isolation chamber just to put that helmet on. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, my usual uh, final question for this thing is, um, who do you get to be now that you're sober? <clears throat> I think uh, the the person that I get to be is present with uh, those that are those that are around me. Um, not not obsessed about some um, catastrophic outcome that is unlikely to occur, um, <laughs> and not uh, off trying to escape to a version of reality that I would prefer, you know. Um, I, get, I get to be <clears throat> enjoying the things that I like to enjoy with the people that I like to enjoy them with. You know, right now that's my family and my, my team, which is, you know, 
for for a guy like me, like that's that's an, that's enough. It's enough of a, a little carve out of the world for me to be be happy, you know, or content at least. I think that's great. Well, thanks so much for sharing some time with me, Andrew. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate your questions. Thanks for having me. Well, that's our show. Thank you for listening. And if you liked what you heard or are interested to hear more, make sure to like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. The music for No Proof was written and recorded by my brother Kyle, right here in Columbus, Ohio. More info and other shows like the Focus on Health podcast with Alex Jump or Currency Exchange with Lauren Paler can be found at fohealth.org. That's focusonhealth.org.